Welcome to the Psych NP Cast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Let's get to the show, indeed, indeed, and welcome to the first complete episode of Psych NPCast. I'm your host, Ed Stern. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a psych mental health nurse practitioner student living in the Washington, D.C. area, a longtime healthcare professional, and a radio personality. This is our coming out episode, our very first. So it's only fitting that for our coming out, we also talk about coming out as part of the LGBTQ community. Today, we're going to talk with John Sovek. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a moment, but I wanted to take just a second and give you some background. Along with being a Psych MP student, I also co-host a nationally syndicated public radio show that's called the Inside Out LGBTQ Collective. We're a good old-fashioned radio show and a podcast. Each of our shows advocates for the LGBTQ community. I myself identify as queer, so that makes me part of the community as well. In my clinical experience, I see a lot of people who are troubled because of their identity and the challenges with coming out. But it's also important for all of us to understand that we just don't come out once. Every single day, we have to make a decision to come out to people. Every single day, we run the risk of trauma. That's why it's important to listen to what John has to say and help all of us understand the idiosyncrasies of coming out as youth. And I encourage all of you to take a look at the show notes to some of the references we've talked about in this show. John, take it away. Oh, thank you. So my name is John Sovak, and I am a therapist and coach out here in Pasadena, California. And I specialize in working with LGBTQ adolescents and their families during the coming out process. Um, This is something I've been so passionate about, basically, since I was in grad school getting my education, because what I found is there was this huge gap in my Mm -hmm. psychology education about the LGBT community in general, and also especially about LGBTQ adolescents. And for me, the work is about my passion. It's about what I do. It's about knowing that maybe our conversation, one parent, one kid, one practitioner will hear this and be able to support some kid in their coming out process. Mm -hmm. So it's my passion. It's what I do. Well, I can't thank you enough for having that passion. Um, it's a, it's an equal passion of mine. I mean, the value proposition is, is undoubtedly there, uh, for our audience that doesn't know this, uh, an organization called the Trevor project, we can go long into the history. We could probably spend an entire show talking about them, but check out the trevorproject.org. They do an annual survey where they, uh, interview LGBTQ youth. They're an organization dedicated to LGBT youth. They're a great resource for any of you that do have patients who are under 24 years old. They've got crisis chat lines, phone lines, and everything else for, for uh, LGBTQ youth. Their 2020 data surveyed well over 40,000 LGBTQ youth here in the United States. And it's 
data that's a little bit better than than previous years, which is at least encouraging. But it's really important that we understand that it's still rather dramatic. So, for example, 40% of the LGBTQ youth that they surveyed seriously considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months. And more than half of those people that, that considered it were transgender and non-binary. Uh, so it's unbelievable. They also just don't have access to psychiatric services. The data, again, there, 46% of them want to seek services, they either can't find people who are confident and comfortable working with the LGBT youth, or they can't afford it. And partly because parents that either don't agree, aren't, don't, aren't aware yet or other things. I mean, they, the, there's a huge need and, you know, John, how do you build your practice around uh, a group like that? Well, you know, it's interesting. And I actually want to add a little more depth to your Trevor Please. Project story as well, too. Yeah. There's another amazing resource group called Gleason, G-L-S-E-N. Mm -hmm. And they put out a semi-annual report, which also is an interview with kids. And what they're looking at, too, is the idea that almost 70% of kids who identify as LGBTQ don't feel safe at school either because of sexual orientation or because gender identity. And that's a huge number, especially when we consider kids are supposed to go to school like they're eight hours a day, even though most people are online right now. <laughs> right, right. But that they are supposed to be in this place and it's not safe for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're looking at large numbers, almost 60% of them say they were, you know, verbally harassed. Um, mm -hmm. More than 40% say that they were physically harassed, yeah. you know, and these are, are, are big numbers to look at for a space that's supposed to be a safe haven for kids. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the first places that all of us need to really look at creating support systems is within the school system itself. You know, I'm in California and we do have lots of structures built in, especially for public schools that are designed to help keep these kids safe and connected and networked. When you go to private schools, that's, you know, kind of the wild, wild west out there. And depending on where you are in the country, there are different roles for every school that's out there. And so I think part of my job as a therapist who works with queer teens is to make sure that I'm connected into these schools. Out here, I work with almost every school in my area as a means to try and create education. I do programs for parents to educate them. I work with staff to try and educate them. Um, I work with some schools to create LGBTQ affirming policies within their system. Oh. And all of those things make me visible enough so that I can be a resource. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's really fascinating with kids these days, especially, is they are so internet savvy. <laughs> and I have kids who find a therapist named John Sovak. And they say to their parents, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of anxious or depressed and I, I, I want to see a therapist. Knowing full well that they're coming in to work with a queer therapist. And they'll come in and then about, you know, six or seven sessions in, they'll be like, so there's something I want to talk about and be like, mm -hmm. ah, here we go. And they are, they are finding me in a lot of cases. And I think that's really powerful that these kids are using the internet as a way to find the resources in their communities. And resourcing is really the most powerful tool we have to support them. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a beautiful point. And I think if if we can, just for a minute, you have an impressive website. Can you share that with, with us, what you refer to yourself as? 
<laughs> okay. So I actually have two different websites. Right. That's that's where yeah. I was going. So, so go ahead. the first one is johnsovac.com. And that one's my big, just like who I am as a practice. Mm-hmm. Within there, there is about my adolescent specialization. And within there, there's mention of my work with LGBTQ kids. Mm-hmm. I also have a completely separate site, gayteentherapy.com, which is another way for people to find me who are directly looking for those services. Mm-hmm. And by putting the two together, I think it gives, uh, gives me more visibility, but also makes it more accessible for someone who's looking for my services. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's the beauty behind it because a youth might find you through, through the gay teen website can, you know, can send a parent through to the, you know, the, the, the PG I'm a therapist. Website. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. You have the Y rated for youth and then the, the P rated for parents. Parents. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's great. No, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that's a beautiful way to look at it. And you make really valid points about the school programs and everything else. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned too, that maybe we can touch upon before we dive deeper into the whole coming out process is I think it's important, you know, and I say this in all of my shows where we're talking about LGBTQ, uh, you know, it's important to understand that within the LGBTQIA plus umbrella, it's, it's an umbrella encompassing a lot of different things. Some of it is related to gender and gender identity. Some of it is related to sexual identity and that, you know, when, when we bring this group together, it's, there's a lot of conversations. So we're talking a lot for the next little bit here. We'll talk a lot in generalities, but we're talking about people of all lots of different walks of life, lots of different cultures all coming in together under that umbrella. And some of them are here, you know, some of them identify in there because of their sexual identity, some of them because of their gender. Is that kind of a fair way to lump what, what you do in your practice together? It is. And I think it is important especially when we're putting, you know, information out of the public, the public like this to help people understand that sexual orientation and gender identity are two very different developmental aspects. Right. And a lot of time in popular media, you will see them kind of melded together. They'll be talking about a trans person who came out and they, but they put it under a term of sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Sexual orientation is, I, I have this phrase that I've used for years. Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. Gender identification is who you go to bed as. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a simple way to keep it, it you know, clear yeah. in our brains to understand that who we are sexually attracted to is a separate developmental piece from what our gender identity is. And the thing that's so exciting about working with kids these days is they're not just taking this like straight gay you know, cis trans story and saying, we only live in this binary black and white world. They are exploring all the aspects of sexual orientation and gender identity. And they're saying there's so much material and there's so much space. And, you know, we have been led to believe there's only a narrow bandwidth of each of these aspects of humanity. And what they're doing is busting it open saying, yeah, no, wrong. Sorry, parents. <laughs> no, it's, it, it is. And it's fascinating. We've really broken from what are the, the norms, quote unquote, that people have identified with in the past is we must fall into a box. We must fall into a label. One of the things this year that I really enjoyed in the Trevor Project report is they basically did a, they, they asked the kids to word cloud essentially, and they ended up with more than a hundred different combinations of gender identity 
and uh, more than a hundred different combinations of sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's great. I, I looked through the list and I was like, well, okay, this one, I know this one, wait a minute, this one I had to think about for, you know, for a bit. And I think that that's, that's, what's amazing is people are, are out there exploring They're they're becoming more comfortable in who they are. And of course, trying to figure out how to come out to other people to be more comfortable in who they are. And I think something you just said though, that when you were going through that list, you weren't, when you hit one, you didn't understand, didn't move into judgment or dismissal. You're like, oh, I need to think about this for a moment. You brought some curiosity to that moment. And I think as caring professionals, that is also a really vital aspect for us to bring into our client care. That Mm -hmm. if someone comes in and they want to talk about their sexual orientation or their gender identity, that rather than figuring out which box you can check (laughs) to fit them into, it's Mm -hmm. about meeting them where they're at. It's about one of your clients saying, you know, I identify as demisexual and your question mark brain goes flip, 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 flip. I don't remember which Google page that was. And so you have to relax in that moment and bring your curiosity into the room. Now, ultimately, it's not your patient's job to educate you. But at the same time, it's also if you're working with youth, it's about being really straightforward with them. And one of the ways to do that is because they can figure right through, they can look right through the bullshit. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. They have a high bullshit meter. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to do that though, is to ask open-ended questions, a how question. So you identify Mm -hmm. as demisexual. How does that show up in your world? Exactly. So that I'm curious to understand what demisexual means to you, because as many people who identify as gay or queer or asexual or demisexual or sociosexual Every one of them has their own personal internal feeling or definition of that. And that's actually where we start working with the individual rather than us just putting them into a category or, as you mentioned earlier, a a box that we can check. And that checking of the box thing, especially with kids, is going to be almost dismissive to them. Absolutely. It's funny you say that. One of the things that we can do in our practice is if we want to start on that affirmation journey, this has nothing to do with today's topic, but it's a soapbox of mine. Get rid of the checkboxes in your intake forms. Fill in the blank on gender, fill in the blank on on sex. Let the person write whatever whatever it is there. Figure out how to integrate that into your EHR. That's this whole separate conversation. But think about this. I mean, if they're, however it is they're, they're identifying. I, I mean, some of my patients have, have said some things to me, my head's going, huh? You know? <laughs> and so I usually, I, I mean, I cheat. Tell me more about that. Right? <laughs> you know, just a nice, right? Tell me. Right. I had a 12 year old the other day come out to me as very conservative, uh, home, very conservative lifestyle, first generation American, nervous as all get out. But she just looked at me and she says, I'm, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that I'm, that I'm pan and I think I'm non-binary. And I just like, didn't miss a beat. So, okay. Mm-hmm. What pronouns do you want to use in my office? And do you have a name, you know, that you would like to use? Mm-hmm. She told him, she told us and I was like, okay. Are we saying that in front of your parents or your given name? She's like, oh my God, no, my Okay, boom. I've had so many clients say to me, you're the first adult to gender or name me correctly for a whole hour or, you know, whatever the amount of time is that we're seeing. And that, that, that's the way it should be. And it's a shame that more people don't have that opportunity. Well, and remember too, most of the time when there's misgendering and misnaming going on, it's actually about 
the the other person. It's not about the person who has shared their identity with you. It's about me not saying the right thing. It's about me being uncomfortable. It's about me not resetting my brain and reorienting towards the conversation that's actually in the present moment. And I think that's so important. And it's vital that caregivers understand that name and gender pronouns are really, really, really important in this moment. Because what if in that day you were the only place where they got to hear their real name and hear their real pronouns? And I think it's so important to be able to provide that and put aside our own noise and our own brain, our own confusion, our own discomfort, and simply make that commitment to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, the data out there proves it. The the suicidality rate drops dramatically for youth who have at least one supportive adult in their um, in their life. And I think that those are critically important. And then finding a way, as you just talked, said, reset the brain, find a way to reset your brain. Um, one of the two places that I, that I work, uh, the EHR constantly showing in the header, somebody's legal name, not their name. And I, try as I may, try to figure out ways to do it. And what I have ended up doing is when they come into the office, I put a post-it note over that portion of the screen mm-hmm. and I write and I write their, their name on it, not their legal name mm-hmm. or not their name given at birth. And I just, I leave it like that because inevitably if I'm looking at the screen and I see the name, it's a habit. And the minute the word comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh crap, you know? So now it's just, you know, the, it was either that or, or white out on the screen, which, you know, is a little bit more permanent. Well. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one thing that you just identified though, that I think is so powerful. We are mm-hmm. human. We are going to misname. We are going to misgender mm-hmm. someone. And it's about catching yourself in that moment saying, I'm so sorry. Here's your correct name. Here are your correct pronouns and moving on. Right. A lot right. of times someone will make a big deal of it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know better. I couldn't do this. You told me so many times and blah, 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 blah. And what happens in that moment is you actually make it more about yourself than about the person that you're with. Mm, that's a good point. And so I really suggest in those moments, breathe, take a moment, reset, apologize, and move forward. And allow that. I think I'm going to add one other thing to that. Allow that individual to be upset, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think, you know, you make a really valid point about the apology, but allow them to be upset because uh, a lot of people who have their pronouns and their names misused or that get dead named or all sorts of other things. I mean, this is happening constantly. This just didn't happen this one time today. I've had many, many of my trans friends tell me that same thing. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to have it happen once in the day, but if it's constantly happening and this is why people get upset, people who are overweight, who are constantly hearing people have a conversation about weight, right? You're constantly bombarded. If they're in a safe place with, with you, allow them to be upset, allow them to vent about it because you're, you might've been the 30th time today or the 300th time in the past week that they've been misgendered, misnamed or, or the like. And, and it's also important. okay for them to be upset with you if you're the first. It is. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you know, it's interesting because what we find with a lot of queer kids is they have some really strong coping mechanisms in place. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that'll show up as like perfectionism, (laughs) um, you know, striving for success, being those straight A kids, trying to remain in control all the time. Um, A lot of emotional distancing will show up. Um, Those that kind of ambivalent energy that we see in teens sometimes, um, isolating substance use. 
all of these are their coping survival mechanisms in those moments. And so I think we have to sometimes look at that and be able to say, okay, the stuff, the action, what we're seeing in front is a reaction to what's going on inside. And let's pause for a moment and say, yeah, I think it's amazing that you've got a, you know, a 4.7, you know, that's brilliant. (laughs) And at the same time, that feels like a lot of pressure you might be putting on yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I know for myself, I was one of those perfectionist kids growing up, you know, my coming out process was not really that big a deal for me. I had very supportive friends and family, Mm -hmm. but I still took on the role of perfectionism as a means to really grab hold and control my environment around me. Because really, you have to understand that as a queer man, coming out is a, is a lifelong process. It's not like I did it as a teenager. Yeah, you're done. You know, mm-hmm. I walk mm-hmm. into a room and I have to kind of weigh out, you know, am I going to come out in this room? Am I not going to come out? Is it important in this room? Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand that this process that queer kids are going through is something that a heteronormative cisgender kid is not going through. They're going to school and they're having the usual like, oh, does so-and-so love me? I'll ask my friend and then they'll go out and they'll do all this stuff. But if I'm a gay male in school, a teenager, and I have a crush on somebody, there are all these different layers of what has to happen. I've got to try and be sneaky and figure out, do you think that they might be gay too? I have right. to figure out, would they like beat me up if I like mentioned it even to a friend and it got, mm-hmm. they got a whisper of it? Am I being too big and flamboyant as I'm walking down the hallway? Should I not join like the theater department because that'll be perceived as gay? There are all these things that these kids are weighing out on a regular daily basis. And when we really look at it and, and pull it apart, it's a trauma-based experience. They're in this hyper-stimulated, hyper-vigilant state all the time. They've got cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine racing through their bodies mm-hmm. because they're constantly having to check around them to see if their identity is exposed or if they want to share that identity. That's exceptionally true. I giggled when you said theater company because I was a theater kid and yet people still thought I was straight. So go figure that one. I I spend probably more time than I should on TikTok, but I saw this amazing TikTok the other day from a young man who was so excited because, you know, he's like, I finally, I finally had the nerve to ask him out. I finally had the nerve to ask him out. I wasn't sure if my gaydar was right. And I was really nervous. And he mentioned these kinds of things. You know, I was afraid of this. I was afraid of that. Typical teenage angst coupled with risk of bodily harm. You ask a girl out, you know, she may, she may turn you down. Um, your only risk is if her current boyfriend is pissed off at you, you know, you add this new layer, of course, you know, as part of the queer community, but, uh, he was just so excited and he goes, but it didn't work because he said he was straight and he goes, and I thought then, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get beaten up or, or whatever. And he's, you know, he goes but it'd be cool to be your friend. Why don't you come hang out with a bunch of us? And what a great acceptance story. And that doesn't always happen. Um, so, you know, I'm going to give the kid a lot of credit for trying. Well, and I think also as the adults who are interacting with some of these kids, that affirming energy can be so powerful. It Absolutely. can really give them a place to feel their wholeness. Mm-hmm. Because what if in that room with you, it's the first time they've been able to actually say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And what an honor to be in that place with them and to have that experience and to be affirming and and caring and supportive. 
And once again, if this is the first place they've been able to say it out loud, I would suggest check in with that, that, that little place right underneath your chest bone and feel the warmth in your heart in that moment and recognize how powerful and important that moment was for that kid. Yeah. No. Great point. So let's talk a little bit about the coming out process. How do we help support individuals who have made the decision to come out? I think, first of all, it's creating a space, as we've been talking about, that they could feel comfortable coming out Mm -hmm. so that they could be in your room, your office, and have that conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in this day and age, I I have to be honest with you, And when my kids are talking about wanting to come out on, on a bigger scale, we talk about safety first. Yep. We do talk about the idea of where where do you imagine will be the safest person or persons to come out to? It might be, you know, hey, dad would be really cool to come out to. And, you know, we work out like every day and I think I could do it after a workout and be really like casual and natural. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mom's much more uptight and I don't want her to know right now because she'll kind of go off the deep end. Like actually walk through the process with them to test out where the safety is going to exist. The one thing that I always point out to kids is if I come out to someone, I am handing them my story. Mm-hmm. It is a big story. And they Indeed. might have a lot of anxiety having that. And they're going to turn to another friend and say like, oh my God, John just came out to me. John's gay. And they're not being mean. They're not being cruel. It's just, it's a lot of a story to hold on to. Mm-hmm. But that person they handed it to, they may not know me quite as well. And then they tell somebody else. And then that person says, hey, see the redheaded guy? He's gay. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, my story has caught like wildfire and gone around the school, and I've lost control over it. Mm-hmm. So I really talk to kids about this moment. It's like, understand, when you start coming out, even to one person, you have to be ready to know that that may be coming out to everyone. It's a great point. When you talk about safety, especially when coming out to parents and the like, do you talk to your clients about plan B's and C's if things don't go well? Yeah. If we're hitting a moment where we're understanding that a certain parent might have a really restrictive reaction to this, it's like, That's okay. a politically correct way of saying kicking their butts out the door. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, really restrictive. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That we do. Do you have a friend or a relative that you could go stay with? Do you have a safe place that you could, you know, set up while this is all playing out? Mm-hmm. Um, what we find a lot of times with parents too, though, is where the kid has been really processing, thinking about this, coming to terms with this inside themselves. When they tell their parents, often the parents are like, whoa, first time I've heard it. And reactions can be very knee jerk. Mm -hmm. And if we create a little bit of time, a little bit of a space, oftentimes we're able to heal some of those rifts and bring the family unit back together. Not in all cases. You know, I tend to be a very optimistic person, but the reality is not in all cases. Um, But yeah, making sure that they have a friend or a relative that they could stay with is always an important thing to have in place if we really have some some like major concerns about coming out to the family. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a good point. Well, especially when we're working with kids, having that one supportive adult mm-hmm. dramatically drops 
suicide rates. It dramatically drops substance use. It dramatically drops a lot of the trauma-based part of the experience. A number of my kids come to me because they have attempted suicide, and in the hospital, in that bed, when they're recovering, they tell their parents that they're gay. Mm. And that is not a way that anyone should have to come out. That's a good point. So I think it is about looking at the pieces of the puzzle with a slightly different lens. So yes, I work with with queer kids. I do have this lens very specific in my work. But what I hear so often is like if a parent's reaching out, it's like, oh, my parent, my kid used to be so like playful and joyous and run around and they were like my little piece of sunshine. And now they're just like all dark and they won't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that a lot of kids who, when they're younger, may be like bigger, more expressive, more bright, because they already like have this energy of knowing they're gay inside of them, get lots of messages from the world around them. And it shuts them down and pushes them literally into a closet, into a dark place inside of themselves where this part of me is not okay for the world. And looking at things like drug use, anxiety, depression, not just as things like we treat from a medical standpoint, but being curious what's going on behind them, and including these questions of sexual orientation and gender identification in that search. You know, although I specialize in working with LGBTQ kids, I have a very wide ranging client base. Wait, you and see straight kids? I see straight kids too. <laughs> I'm just that, just that modern. My God, you're so diverse. <laughs> but the thing that's really cool about it is that I'm really open in my space with talking about all of this stuff. So an example is, you know, I had a kid come in, very identified as cisgender, heterocentric, um, And really, you know, that was who he was in his school. We were talking about relationships one day, and I just, my little spidey sense went up at the back of my head, and I said, so are we just talking talking girls? And he said, well, I've thought about guys, but I don't think it's my thing. Hmm. And we went back to talking about his girls and dating. But because my attitude about it was just so straightforward, like there was no agenda behind it, just this, like, this is a question I might ask anybody. Mm -hmm. I had a straight teenage boy saying to me, I thought about boys, but it's not my thing. That little nugget of our comfort in the room is huge in making these spaces open and a way to be supportive. You know, when we walk into a room with a new client, hi, my name's John. I'm a queer male. My pronouns are he, him. The person across me doesn't have to respond to that in any way, shape, or form. But what it does set up is the idea that we are in a space where you and I can talk about this if you need to sometime in the future. Yeah. So like I said, sometimes I'll be with newer clients and we'll have this conversation. We'll be going, oh, we're working some stuff. And then around week six or seven, they'll start intimating about coming out. Mm -hmm. Because that environment was set up from the beginning, it's really powerful and useful. Yeah. And you've mentioned things like, you know, TikTok. Um, There's lots of space on social media for, you know, a Muslim gay kid to see his face represented. True. And social media can be both a powerful tool and a really detrimental tool. But if we can say, I can go online and I can see myself represented in the world now, that's a really powerful step towards creating supportive environments. 
And so we as uh, clinicians need to know our local resources. You know, we need to be able to say to a kid, well, you know, there's this really cool video on Tre- Trevor Project has this great video thing. It's been going on for years now called It Gets Better. Yes. And it's celebrities and sports stars and music people and just kind of professionals all talking about how, you know, their adolescence, life sucked. Now they're like really wonderful, affirmed out gay people. Mm-hmm. It is such a cool project to work with with these teens so they can see, oh, look, there I am. I'm a rough, tough football player. There's a football player who came out. I can still be a rough, tough football player and be gay. This is cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, True. these ideas of these multiple identities of, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity have been around since the dawn of humankind, okay? And people who would disagree with that, but I, we, <laughs> we, we, we just, yeah, we would talk about that. <laughs> but we have lots of societies that are much yeah. older than our Western society that have recognized and represented and seen power in those identities within their culture. Absolutely. And then that has moved to like, no, now it's not okay to opening up again, to closing down, to opening up. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's different is the social constructs of morality that are being created in the world around us. So to say that, you know, well, all these kids being trans is a new thing. It's like, mm, no, we're just in a space right now where they're talking more openly about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, this thing about like these gay kids are just all over the internet. It's like, well, guess what? We've actually been here for a long, 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 long time. We are just in a place where now we can bring it out of the public eye. And these things always change and shift. And I think it's important for us to be aware of where are we in that moment, to understand that a kid who comes from, like you were talking earlier, a Muslim family is going to have huge constraints because of their religious belief systems mm-hmm. that are coming out, then are going to be different from some kid who's raised here in California with a, you know, a nice, you know, hippy dippy family who's, <laughs> you know, agnostic. It's going to be a different experience. We need to be aware of what those social pressures are on these kids Mm -hmm. when they're talking to us about coming out. Yeah, no, I mean, those are very valid points. Any other tips that you can think of for the practitioner in their office to, you know, to sort of help facilitate, like what would you, any other things that you might consider like a quick guide? Yeah. One thing that comes to mind immediately for me, and it has to do with the family idea of the coming out process. Yeah is to really recognize that coming out is a family process. Mm-hmm. And especially with uh, when I'm working with kids, most of the kids, when they're ready to come out, have been thinking about this for a while, have been feeling it for a while, and they're now ready to speak about it. For a lot of their parents, it's going to be a little bit more like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And what I try and share and help both the kid and the parents understand that we might be in the middle of a grieving process. And this is not the grieving of, oh, my son is trans, oh, my son is bi, oh, my daughter is lesbian. No, what we're looking at is the idea of grieving the dream of the child they gave birth to. Mm. I kind of always put it this way. You know, when parents have a child, it's in the hospital, the the kids put in their arms, they look down into its eyes, and they project forward an entire lifetime for these kids. They project forward, you know, oh, it's going to be a star of the football team and they're going to go, you know, to an Ivy League college and they're going to buy the house next door to us and fix it up and have 2.3 children and, you know, have a, have a, a golden retriever yeah. and a white picket fence. But when the kid comes out, that dream gets shattered. 
And it's so important to understand and educate both the parents and the kids that this might be a process that's going on. Because that allows us to give some space to the parents so that they don't have to feel, oh, I need to know everything right now. Instead, wait, a little bit of grieving's going on. Let me slow down my emotional reactivity. Kids, understand this is new news for your parents. We need to give them some space to be able to process what they're feeling. So pointing out that potential grieving process is a really powerful tool to help the family unit move through these initial stages of coming out. No, I like that. That's a, that's a powerful point. And I think, you know, I mean, you said that the dream is shattered, you know, it's maybe it's to help reframe that, right? I mean, really what we're doing is, is we're, we're redirecting the dream, right? These are still people, your, your son can still have kids, your daughter can still have kids. You can still have that, you know, they can still have the house next door. They can, they can still have the dog. They can still have the 2.5 kids. They can still have the white picket fence. They can still go to an Ivy league school. All of those things happen. It's just the framework around it has changed. And I think that's one of the things that's beneficial in today's world. Right? Earlier generations might not have had all of that success and that openness. It, you know, it really was not long ago in this country that to be queer or however you want to define it, part of the LGBTQ community was was criminal. And now you're able to get married. Now you're able to do certain things, other things that you weren't able to before. Well, there's the two things that I want to <clears throat> share with what you just said as well. So for people who are of an older generation, this use of the word queer mm-hmm. is really challenging. And Absolutely. we need to be aware of that within a community context. I personally identify as queer because I'm an educator, an advocate, and an activist in this community. And to me, that queerness is taking back that word, which was used as derogatory energy towards myself and saying, I own it. You know what? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And proud to do it. And let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important piece to understand is that language is also going to be generational right now in this work. And so, especially if you are maybe an older queer provider, the word queer is not comfortable for you. It's okay. You can be an older lesbian provider. You can be an older bisexual provider. You can be an older pansexual provider. Mm -hmm. You don't need to take this on if it's not within your comfort. Really important. And another thing that we're looking at, and it's this shift that's happening. It's only a few years old, but I, I, I really believe it's very powerful. We often talk about this coming out process. Mm-hmm. And especially when you look at families, coming out puts all the responsibility on me. I need to come out to you. Mm-hmm. What we're looking at right now is this really juicy piece of approach that says, I'm inviting you in. Mm. So this means that you are now being invited into the world as I see it, as I experience, as I taste it, as I walk through it, as I dance through it, what I listen to. And this inviting in process is a really like subtle but deep shift in how we look at our identities as LGBTQ people. Do we need to prove ourselves to others so that they can say, oh, that's an okay gay person, they're going to fit into the structure we want? Or do we get to invite the straight person and say, like, come in, visit my world, see what it's like. It's really beautiful. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. Yeah. And I have gone through a process of coming out 
that has changed who I am as a person on a basic core level. Um, we look at that as a process called essentialism. It's not just I'm a gay person and, oh, John sleeps with men. I'm a gay person who has had these life experiences that have shifted the lens of how I see the world. Mm -hmm. So the essence of who I am, yes, I sleep with men. And there's so much more to my identity as a queer person. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot there. There's so many things that, that are, you know, that are spot on. I think, you know, those are, those are powerful thoughts. I, I too identify as queer only because it's, again, it was uncomfortable for me to take that back, but I finally realized that for me, it was easier than trying to explain what is pansexual or, you know, that I used to be this, them, that, you, no, just, just it's easier. And it took me a while to get really comfortable with that. You mentioned too, that the vocabulary is evolving. And I think that's something that all of us need to remember is that this is a lexicon group that is constantly changing and is, and is even regional in, you know, in some sense. So terminology that you may be hearing frequently used there in Southern California is potentially different than what I'm hearing here in Washington, DC as to how people identify and, and what that means. And so we have to be conscious of that just because we read an article that says that, you know, X equals Y doesn't necessarily mean that X equals Y where we are when we're dealing with a rapidly evolving lexicon within the LGBTQ community as a whole. I, I mean, that's a really valid point. And I love what you said about essentially, you know, essentialism and that right, I'm not coming out to you well, rephrase, say that again. I'm sorry. Not coming out to you. I'm inviting you in, inviting you in. Yeah. I mean, how, how homey for starters, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Uh, but, but I mean, I think that's also, that says so much. So often the younger generations that, you know, that I've spoken to the conversation always is why do I have to come out? Straight people don't come out as straight. Of course, that's their choice too. They can choose not to, but, but to reframe it and invite them in, I think is great. And it gives, it gives an understanding everybody, everybody in life, whether you're straight, queer or otherwise has, has been on a journey. And some of us in the LGBTQ community share similar elements in that journey. Um, I think you had said earlier that, you know, this is a form of a trauma Right. We certainly don't need to add to that traumatic experience along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been, this has been phenomenal. I'm going to have to come up with some excuse to invite you back, I guess. Um, <laughs> any parting words of wisdom before I let you go and have a, have a great day. You know, I was thinking about something that you and I have actually been doing during this entire interview. And we are very steeped in this community. We're very steeped in this work. Mm -hmm. And you and I are throwing about words and definition, mm -hmm. just casually letting these bon mots of LGBTQ wordage <laughs> fall off our lips. Yep. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who was just like, what is he talking about when he says cis or trans? What is he talking about when he says pansexual? Take a moment after you've listened to this, write down some of those words, look at someplace like HRC or Gleason or Trevor Project mm -hmm. or PFLAG and get a real basic vocabulary list. Do it for yourself. Do it for your office. Do it for the people that you interact with. It's out there. We throw it around casually because we do this work every single day. Yeah. And what I encourage you is rather than just saying like, oh, they said the word cis, interesting, don't know what it means, move on. Mm -hmm. Pause, educate, learn. 
that's how we're going to bring lots of power and change into this conversation. Well, I think you just challenged me that in the show notes now I have to put some links to some of the some of the better glo- term glossaries that are out there. I think that's that's a great idea, John. Thank you um, for making me do more work. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I sense from our conversation and our pre-conversation and our chat back and forth is that this work is so valuable and important and passionate to you. Oh, absolutely. So very true. Thank you for thank you for that, um, and thank you for um, for being a guest with us today. For those of people who are interested, can you uh, one more time how do how would people, especially uh, nurse practitioners in the Southern California area, but just in general, how might people find out about your practice? Right. So the best ways to contact me are through my websites, which are johnsovec.com, J-O-H-N-S-O-V-E-C.com, and gayteentherapy.com. And through either of the websites, you can email me if you have questions, curiosities, want to bring some training into your organization, please feel free to reach out to me. And if you want to have some fun, you can find me on social media, um, on Insta, I am at John Sovac Therapy, and on Twitter, at John Sovac. And you can just come hang out and see the words of inspiration that I hand out into the world. <laughs> You're on. That's great. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of Psych and PCAST. We'll see you in our next episode. Don't forget to tell your friends and in whatever podcast system you're in, don't forget to rate us. That helps us get found by other psych NPs. We'll see you next time.